Welcome to ADHD Love Parent Talk, episode 52. If you can come from a place of gratitude and appreciation, I think it really opens up a sense of just like peace and calming when you then get to the next stage of like, okay, what do I really need in my life? And what is my relationship with food going to look like? So I think it's always really important, no matter what terrible thing you might have done, there's usually some sense that it's rooted in self-care. Hello, and welcome to the ADHD Love Parent Talk podcast. If you felt like you have been walking your path alone as an adult with ADHD or as a parent with children with ADHD, you are finally home. I interview parents and professionals, including doctors, coaches, educators, and so much more so you can not only learn more information about ADHD, I also want you to have tools that you can put in your toolbox as you're going through your journey. Hey, my ADHD family, welcome to another episode of ADHD Love Parent Talk, where we talk about all things ADHD. My guest, Katie, has come back. I am so excited to have her, and we are going to dig into binge eating, and that's one of her passionate topics, so I thought this would be a great topic to discuss and how it's related to ADHD. So, Katie, thank you for coming back. (laughs) Thank you for having me back. (laughs) Yay, I'm so excited. So for those who haven't met you, please tell them a little bit about yourself. And then why do you know so much about ADHD? Well, I was diagnosed last year in 2020 in the fall. I call myself a pandemic diagnosis because I basically, as soon as we hit lockdown, I'm an entrepreneur health coach. My kids were home. I didn't have a cleaning lady and my husband was home and I just like imploded. And... Realized soon after I started looking into it, as many of us do, like started obsessively hyper-focusing about ADHD, realized I, that this was the explanation for basically everything in my entire life was so overwhelmed because I was 45 and had been, you know, through so many different issues in terms of just like parenting and and schooling and all of this stuff that suddenly made sense to me. And I just felt like I'm curious if other women are going through the same experience. And so I decided to start the Women and ADHD podcast. And so when I started that- by the way. (laughs) Yes, and that's how I met you. I interviewed you and I was super excited because I had been watching all of your videos as part of my own research. and. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, it's just been, it's kind of grown from there. Interviewing and talking to women who have had this experience has been so incredible to me. I mean, I feel like I'm getting my PhD in ADHD by talking to all of these women, but also just finding that these conversations are helping so many other women feel less alone and, and recognize these very complicated to articulate uh, issues that we go through, you know? Right. And so, it's been so rewarding to know that these conversations that have fed me so much are also helping listeners. That's beautiful. So for those who are struggling like us, we both got diagnosed later in life and ironically both at 45 years old. (laughs) So for those who are just trying to figure out if they should bother getting diagnosed or not, especially much later in life, what would your advice be to them? I think, I think self-diagnosis is definitely important. And I think that that is totally valid. So if you are reading about 
ADHD in women and you are feeling like for the first time your whole life makes sense and you feel incredibly just like seen by the TikTok videos and the memes and the articles and just everything out there. If you are feeling like you have found your people and like suddenly you relate to all of this information so deeply, like that's a really good indication that you have ADHD. And that is enough as far as I'm concerned, because once you kind of acknowledge that this is perhaps the explanation for a lot of these seemingly random struggles in your life, you can start looking into like, okay, now what, you know? And, and I often say with, on my podcast with my guests, like the, the uh, diagnosis is really half the treatment because just knowing that this has a name really helps us moving forward in terms of like, just having that explanation as opposed to always defaulting to like, what is wrong with me? I'm a failure. I'm lazy, you know? So I think that I think self-diagnosis is absolutely important and valid. But I also realize that many of us need to take that next step and go see a medical professional and have that confirmation in our mind because we are all, you know, historically we are filled with self-doubt and we're not very good at trusting ourselves. So I think having that outside opinion of a medical professional can help us certainly. And it's also, you know, how you would then go with medication if that's something you were interested in. But I don't think it's essential by any means. And I think a lot of the times it can be problematic because you'll go to a medical professional for a diagnosis and they will give you medication and that's it. They won't tell you anything else. And so we really have to be self-reliant in terms of how we research and how we treat this. And that's where community comes in and why community and understanding ourselves and talking to each other and sharing and advocating and helping is so important because that is really the treatment for ADHD, right? It's just like self-actualization and realization. I love that. And you're right. I mean, the community has helped me grow so much, especially the most recent community on Clubhouse, right? And it became so addictive. I'm like, okay, I got to take a break (laughs) because I was on there all the time, but it's because I just felt so good understanding or learning how other people were going through the same thing I was trying to make the same decisions around medication. People were deciding whether they should get diagnosed or not. And just everyday habits. I mean, it was just a great feeling to feel connected with other people who get you. Right. So yeah, I completely agree that community is so important. So important. It yeah. is. And so much of our identity is, is about, you know, we have such a hard time asking for help. And so, so much of our identity is like struggling in secret. And, and then there's shame involved with all of that, you know? And so when there, when you have those moments where you're just like, oh my God, you have a problem with this too. I thought I was the only one. I mean, you know, how many times has that happened where you just feel so much better about yourself when you realize, okay, it's, I'm just not a terrible person that there's a, a bigger explanation at work here. Absolutely. So we're going to get into binge eating. So I'm very excited about this topic, but please audience, if you want to know more about Katie, I am going to be putting a link in the YouTube up here, but if you don't look at YouTube, you can also catch her on Facebook and Instagram. So she is just a wonderful story. So Katie, I want to start talking about binge eating. So just from the basic, what is binge eating? So, you know, binge eating, I think often conjures up an image of somebody like on the couch, surrounded by huge bags of chips and ice cream and, you know, all of that. And that can certainly be a part of binge eating. But I often 
liken binge eating to not necessarily an amount of food, but just how you feel when you are eating, which is often a feeling of being out of control and feeling a sense of kind of insatiability that is not being met, a hunger that is just not being met, that makes you have to go back over and over and over for more. And then there's that internal struggle of like, I need to stop, I need to stop. And you literally like feel incapable of stopping. And so that is when I think it's a binge. So I don't think it's necessarily how much, but certainly eating past fullness. But I think a lot of it has more to do with just how out of control you feel in that moment. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So what does it do to your body when you go through situations like that? Yeah, I mean, you know, when I, my own history with binge eating was really after years and years of yo-yo dieting. And Mm -hmm. so, I mean, I really thought I, you know, I would eat uncontrollably at night after the kids went to bed. And that was kind of my release. I would just go back over and over and over again for food. And I remember I would stop eating throughout the day because I knew a binge was coming and I felt Mm. like I couldn't stop that binge. And I actually kind of looked forward to it. And so in order to like counteract that binge, I would try to restrict food throughout the day and see how long I could go without eating to counteract that. And I really sort of felt like I had just got out of control with food all day long. Like I just felt like it was all I thought about. I had become obsessive about it. And I really wanted to solve this binge eating. And and because if I could solve the binge eating, then I could go back to dieting and I could lose weight and everything would be wonderful and I'd be happy again. And and so I started researching and looking up, this was before I was even diagnosed, but you know, I started like researching as much as I could about binge eating. How am I going to solve binge eating? What, it, you know, this is a problem and I need to solve it. Mm-hmm. And what I realized in all the research I had done was that binge eating isn't actually a problem. Binge eating is a symptom of a bigger problem, which is restriction. So the problem is not, how do I solve binge eating? The problem is, where am I restricting in my life that is causing the reaction and the symptom of binge eating? Mm -hmm. And that was the much bigger question in terms of, okay, let's start looking at, all right, obviously the first the first restriction is caloric restriction. You know, I had gotten to the point where I was consuming thousands and thousands of calories at night. And so I felt like I had to not eat all day long. And so I was creating this cycle, right? So I was like, okay, so the first thing you have to do is get rid of the idea of caloric restriction with food. But then I was still binge eating. I mean, that was the problem. I realized like, uh, you know, uh, even if I ate all day long, it wasn't, it wasn't getting rid of the binge eating. Mm -hmm. And so then I thought, well, maybe if I like, you know, adopt a diet like keto or paleo, where I only eat certain foods and I can eat as much of those certain foods as possible, Mm -hmm. it'll solve this binge eating uh, issue. And it didn't. And that's where I realized that like restriction is in many, many places in our life. It is not just a restriction in terms of food. This is emotional restriction. This is mental restriction, right? These are places in which we are just like in a state of anxious Mm self-denial. And that's where like the real work started happening, which was like, okay, where in my life am I restricting? Mm -hmm. And I need to just stop. I need to just stop all of it. And it was only then that I actually stopped binge eating. So that's what I work with 
with clients now, which is like, where are we restricting? And is your pursuit of physical health Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. happening at the expense of your mental and emotional health. Mm-hmm. And that, because that can also be where the binging comes in. So you talked about when you binged at night and didn't eat during the day, you're still accumulating a lot of calories anyway. Right. <laughs> so my, my, um, one of my questions is what does, does it do anything? Do you have any issues with your body? I mean, have people passed out? I mean, is there just like, what should people be watching outside of just the binge eating? Hmm. Good question. I think, I mean, obviously eating past fullness, uh, can be really uncomfortable and, you know, so the next day often your body is kind of playing catch up, especially if you binge eat late at night. And Mm -hmm. so that can have a whole host of stomach issues, gas issues, heartburn. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of those things. So there are a lot of physical symptoms to look for, but I think a lot of it is also just that, um, cycle of, going to bed, feeling terrible about yourself Mm. and feeling like I have to solve this problem. I'm going to wake up tomorrow and start fresh. And that's something that a lot of dieters get into, right? Which is like, tonight's a wash. I'm just going to go whole hog and start fresh in the morning. And that kind of mentality, that idea of like, there's going to be a new me around the corner tomorrow. And that new me is going to be perfect and everything's going to be great is, you know, that's a psychological issue uh, because we're never perfect. And you have to kind of let go of that idea that you can, you can just wake up and and start fresh. Yeah, no, I get that because I have that issue. I mean, I go through cycles and it's been worse since I've been older. And I don't know if it's just because I'm stressed and there's just a lot going on, but that's what I used to do too. Not used to, I go in cycles. (laughs) So there are times when I will eat like crazy at night. That was my time too. Or my other time was I connected having a day off to eating, right? So Mm -hmm. I wanted to go get treats or get some fast food and, you know, just wanted to have a relaxing day. And so it never failed. And I also connected it to studying. So when I was in school recently, I connected it to studying. It was just like, whatever way that I could, I connected food to that. And then what I would do is to your point, I would say, I will wake up the next morning and say, okay, this is my last day. I'm going to do this, right? I'm not going to do it. (laughs) And then literally, literally that night I'm eating again. So I completely understand that cycle. So when is too much? Like, how do you even say you're truly binge eating? So is it a certain amount of food? Like, when is it too much? Well, I think that goes back to the idea of it's how out of control you feel as opposed mm. to the amount of food. Okay. And so I, it's hard to say, I mean, I don't think there's such thing as too much. I mean, obviously, you know, that's, it's just, that's kind of a loaded in that, you know, we can often feel so much guilt around mm. how much food we are eating. And so, um, you know, some people more than one cookie feels like they're doing, a, you know, some terrible food crime. Right. Uh, and so this, this is where, you know, the concept of intuitive eating is really important. Mm. And, um, you mm-hmm. know, which is really like listening to right. your hunger and, yeah. and whether or not you even want the food. And so, right. you know, and that's where it's like figuring out what, you know, the kind of 
listening to the inner wisdom of our body is something that we're not very good at, especially with ADHD, right? We're not, we're, we're inattentive by nature. Mm-hmm. I am not the kind of person who's ever going to sit and chew, a, you know, 25 times or whatever they tell you to do to slow down your eating. I shovel my food over the sink and that's just how it's going to happen, you know, or, or even a family dinner, we have a family dinner, but we're all talking. I'm not thinking about whether I'm hungry or full. And then all of a sudden the plates empty because I grew up from the clean, clean plate club. And then I'm like, Oh God, uh, that was a lot. Right. you know. So there's a lot of ways in which our ADHD contributes to that feeling of just like, we feel out of control around food a lot of the time, but a lot of that feeling of out of control comes from mostly from a sense that we should be doing something and we're mm. not doing that. Okay. And that's where you really need to like break down, like, okay, so feeling like I should be doing something is a desire for control. Whereas health is not about control. Health yes. is about feeling good and self care. Mm-hmm. And so like, when you talk about like eating, when you're studying, right, mm-hmm. you could feel really guilty about that because it feels like it's a lot of food. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you flip the script and say, wow, I'm feeling a little anxiety. I'm feeling a little stressed out because I'm studying and this food is offering my body dopamine. Of course I'm going for food, right? I had that realization after we started doing zooms all the time. Every time I got off a of zoom, I went straight to the cabinet and started eating food, usually chocolate. And I was like, that's weird. And then I thought, well, no, actually that makes perfect sense because you get all kind of like energized when you're on having conversations and you're on zoom. And so you need that like decompression and food is a great way to decompress. But if you're feeling guilt about that, then you're not decompressing. Mm. Your body is wanting to, wanting to decompress, but your brain is like ramping up the guilt and the shame and the shush. Gotcha. So if you look at those examples of like, actually what I'm doing is self-care, right? I mean, you can kind of see that there was something healthful in that eating to begin with. And that's Mm -hmm. where you can kind of then say, okay, now how is that action serving me? Is there a better way to serve me? But I think a lot of our relationship to food is just mired in like food rules and what we should and shouldn't be doing. And that's where we can get really wrapped up and worked up and feel lost and confused and not Mm -hmm. know what we're supposed to be doing and, and feeling like everybody has this whole thing figured out, but us. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear you say that because one of the things that I notice is if I deny myself certain things, those are the things that I binge on, right? And if I say, so like, for example, and that's why I say I go in cycles, I said, you know what, I'm just going to buy a box of Oreo cookies and then I'll just eat a little bit, you know, each day, just, just to try something, right? I have not even eaten those cookies. (laughs) Because I, it's almost like I've given myself permission to eat them and I even open them. And then they've been in there for like three days when I literally would go through half of them if I knew, oh, I'm going to go off tomorrow, right? Or I'm not going to eat certain things tomorrow. So it is, it's just a, it's just really weird how your mind works when you're trying to deny you something, right? It's like that little kid in the cookie jar, <laughs> right? It's like, yeah, but. Uh, Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, speaking of kids, I mean, kids are perfect examples of like beautiful intuitive eaters. You think about like the first time a one-year-old tastes sugar, right? You know, say there's like icing on their first birthday cake. That's why I'm thinking of my son. And the first time he tried sugar was at his first birthday, like a lot of kids. And he kind of had that, that he tasted it and was like, 
what is this magical, wonderful experience? And he went back in and had a few more bites, but he didn't finish the cupcake. He had a few bites and was like, okay, I'm done. And as an adult, especially as somebody with a history of dieting, you're like, how can you possibly just take a few bites of a cupcake without wanting to inhale the whole thing? You know, that's a perfect example of, mm -hmm. of a child kind of listening to, okay, I like this and now I've, I'm done because they don't have a sense of what they should or shouldn't be eating. Right. right. They're not saying, oh, I need to stop because of my waistline. Right. They're just, their body says they're done. And that is something that we lose um, a connection with as we get older, because we get sort of wrapped up in what we should and shouldn't be doing in terms of food rules. So a lot of it is kind of recapturing that. And like you said, if you have permission, if you've given yourself permission to allow all foods and to really start listening to yourself, foods become a lot less problematic. And you you can have cookies in the cabinet and go for them when you're in the mood and, and not have this whole all or nothing mentality of like, I'm starting fresh on Monday, so I might as well just get rid of them by eating them, mm -hmm. right? And so this whole concept that like sugar is addictive, I think is so ridiculous because sugar is only addictive to people who are not allowing sugar in their life. You know, like mm -hmm. most things that are addictive are addictive regardless of how much or little you do yeah. <laughs> like heroin, right? Like, you know, there's certain things that are addictive in their, by their nature, but this idea that sugar is addictive is only really perpetuated by the diet industry that is telling you to get rid of it. You know, mm -hmm. most people who have like a fairly un complicated relationship with sugar can enjoy it and know when they've had enough, you know, and it's not an addictive property. Right. Yeah. I, I like that. I like that. So tell me how is the, so you talked a little bit about area. You were starting to talk a little bit about how ADHD connects to binge eating or vice versa. So can you share a little bit about how those two connect together? Yeah. I mean, I think I've been sort of unraveling this for a while now, because I think there's so many ways in which um, we are more prone to binge eating. And I think a lot of it comes from the fact that we use food as a stimulation, you know, like we were talking about with, you know, when you're studying or, you, you know, food is an excellent source of stimulating your neurotransmitters and releasing dopamine and, and also serotonin. And so these are ways in which we kind of self-medicate and food is a safe, easy, accessible way to self-medicate. So I think that that's something that we also struggle with is, is again, sort of feeling like I inherently feel like this is a bad thing. I shouldn't be doing this. And we then feel like, okay, if I shouldn't be doing this, then why is it all I can think about, right? <laughs> <laughs> because we have that tendency to like really hyper-focus, especially hyper-focusing on things that aren't necessarily healthy or good for us. Right? right. So there's that. There's also, I think just dieting in general is something that is very appealing. Um, you know, I think, I think women, especially with ADHD often find diets appealing because diets provide structure. They mm. provide a promise of, you know, that perfect you that's around the corner. And so it provides the sense of like, oh my God, I feel so out of control. So now I'm going to take this diet and I'm going to count calories. And I'm going to weigh my food and I'm going to weigh myself daily. And I'm going to do this 110%. I am all in, right? Because we're such perfectionists. But then what happens is we do everything and we get overwhelmed and then we just say, you know what, this is boring or this is terrible or 
I miss bread or whatever, you know, whatever your decision is, you hit a wall and then you're like, screw it. I'm dumping it all. And then you feel bad about yourself because you had put so much stock in this new you. And so I think we have a tendency to really kind of focus Mm -hmm. on this idea that there's a better version of ourselves out Mm -hmm. there and that we might, we might put that puzzle together and we might figure it out. And, you know, granted the diet industry is out there making billions of dollars off that mentality. So they want you to think that way. They want you to think that this happier version of you is 20, 50, hundred pounds away, you know, Mm -hmm. and not really focus on the hard stuff, which is like, okay, what is the real source of my unhappiness? Um, and I think also we tend to, we tend to care a lot about how we are perceived because we were so misunderstood as children. We were always so, you know, so many of us felt like we were not living up to our potential or we felt like, there was this way in which we were supposed to be acting and we weren't, you know, a lot of that masking, a lot of that uh, sense of being an outsider. We, you know, plays into a focus on people pleasing and what is the best way to please people by appearing thin, you know, like we are told in society when you lose weight, wow, you look great. Oh my God, that's so great. You must feel so great. You're so healthy. Everybody notices, everybody talks about it. And then if you gain the weight inevitably, which happens with 95% of dieters, you gain the weight back you gain the weight back and then more some, you know, people don't say anything. People either are just downright rude or yeah. they don't say anything. And that silence says a loud message to the most of us, to most of us, which is like, Oh God, like I'm a failure. So I need to get back on the saddle. I need to get back on that horse. I need to really start like focusing and losing weight and get, you know, and then you get back into that hyper-focus perfectionist Mm -hmm. mode. So, yeah, I mean, I think we all addictive personalities, you know, so again, it's that idea of like, we tend to self-medicate and, Mm -hmm. and, um, Yeah. I mean, it's, I feel like, I feel like you could pretty much take any textbook characteristic of a person with ADHD and apply that to how we eat and how we sort of view food, nutrition and and our bodies in general. And yeah, I think it's incredibly fascinating and incredibly complicated. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. So if somebody is, so they have their ADHD and they have their binge eating struggles, which one do you really work on first? I mean, do you work on the binge eating piece? Does the ADHD, if you're, you know, working through the ADHD and the stresses or, you know, the things that are going on with your ADHD, would that help binge eating? Like what should people work on first? Yeah. I mean, I think like we were saying with the diagnosis itself, I think once you sort of realize the why behind what you were, why, you you know, what you were doing, then it becomes a lot easier to sort of focus in on like, how can I change my behaviors? Right. Mm -hmm. So again, instead of thinking of binge eating as this problem that needs to be solved, Mm -hmm. think of it as the symptom of the problem of deprivation. And so that is where you can kind of look at, okay, as a woman with ADHD, what has happened in my life that is making me feel all these shoulds? And then the binge, you know, once you kind of let go of this desire for controlling your food and figuring everything out, and if you just kind of like 
exhale and start to just eat, <laughs> which is a really, really difficult thing for a lot of people. But it, you know, it really is just kind of like stepping off that cliff, right? It is just like, okay, I need to just stop trying to control everything and just like think, what am I hungry for? What do I want to eat? You know, start asking those basic questions. The binge eating stops almost immediately. Mm. From what I found with my with my clients, and then if it comes back, then you can say, okay, this is a red, you know, this is an indication that I have brought restriction back in my life somewhere. So then now I can look, okay, where is that restriction? And so I think the ADHD plays in because a lot of it is like looking at like like we were talking about like there are so many characteristics in my life where I start feeling out of control and like I want to get control, you know. And why like eating disorders, for instance, happen a lot of the time they, they happen in puberty because our bodies are out of control. And so we were like, okay, so where can I, you know, where can I start controlling my life through my food intake? Right. Mm -hmm. Or after your baby, you have a baby and everybody wants to get their baby body back. Right. You know, their pre, their pre baby -baby body, body. Mm -hmm. which is ridiculous. You never lost your body, (laughs) but it's just these like moments in your life where your life feels so out of control and that you're like, okay, where can I control something? I know food. I can't control my baby, but I can at least maybe control my food and my weight and my size. And then, and then again, you know, you get wrapped up in the kind of shame spiral of deprivation and restriction and then overcompensating on your body, just pleading with you mm-hmm. to start eating again through binging. So when is it too much? When is, you said, you know, binge eating can get out of control. So how will someone know that they're just out of control and they really need assistance or help? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think if you are not able to pinpoint where the restriction is in your life, mm-hmm. and so the, the binge eating is continuing to happen, I think that is really when you need to start looking, you know, look for help mm-hmm. in terms of sifting through like where, you know, where am I restricting in my life? Because it's mm-hmm. not always just restricting with food. A lot of it can be relationships. A lot of mm-hmm. it can be you're in a difficult parenting situation or, you know, you're your job is you're miserable in your job, you know, like so many ways in which we can feel out of control. So that's when, that's when you start, you know, sifting through the receipts. <laughs> that makes sense. So is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you want to share with the audience, whether it's around ADHD, binge eating, or the combination? Yeah. I mean, I think um, really just, Looking at, I think it's really important to look at a lot of these seemingly problematic behaviors that we might have around food Mm -hmm. and to see like, where was the self-care? Because a lot of the times we do things intuitively to take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. So even when we are like self-medicating in ways that you know, like we have a tendency with ADHD to have substance abuse, right? Mm -hmm. And so we can feel really, really bad about substance abuse. But if you look at like, say, you know, nicotine or alcohol as examples, like if you sort of start to look at those things as like, okay, I was trying to take care of myself the only way I knew how at the time, right? Mm -hmm. Then you can start to think about the fact that like, I was trying to take care of myself. And so then you can have gratitude for the fact that like that 
self-preservation is there. And that's something, if you can come from a place of gratitude and appreciation, I think it really opens up a sense of just like peace and calming when you then get to the next stage of like, okay, what do I really need in my life? And what is my relationship with food going to look like? So I think it's always really important, no matter what terrible thing you might have done, there's usually some sense that it's rooted in self-care. Okay. Okay. So if people are looking for help, I mean, what type of places would they go to or where, where would they look for, you know, assistance or help? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, a lot of my diet recovery help came from listening to podcasts, right? Mm-hmm. So there's so many wonderful podcasts out there. Christy Harrison has a podcast called Food Psych, which is an amazing She's been doing that for years. She also wrote a book a couple of years ago called Anti-Diet, which is a primer I always recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, and another book is by Carolyn Dooner. It's called The Bucket Diet. <laughs> uh, and she has a podcast of the same name. She's mm-hmm. fantastic. And, you know, and I wrote a book, of course, about my own experience mm-hmm. with binge eating and diet recovery. Uh, so those, I think, are really helpful. Just, you know, in terms of, again, listening to people's stories yeah. and, and hearing your own story in those and really relating to them and kind of figuring out like, okay, I'm not a lazy failure. I'm not a terrible person. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. actually just mm-hmm. trying my best. And that's when you can kind of just unclench a bit, a little and get rid of the shoulds and then start healing from there. I love it. So if they have any more questions for you, how can they get a hold of you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, my website is worth it with Katie, K A T Y dot com. And I'm on Instagram at worth it with Katie. And um, yeah, I mean, I mostly talk a lot about the intersection between ADHD and eating. And I also talk about diet recovery. And I have um, a group coaching program that I've just started, which has been blowing my minds. Um, the women in these groups who are women with ADHD, I mean, the connections that they are making and some of the stuff we were talking about is just like, you know, I just feel like a mama bird with her babies. <laughs> it's been so great. So yeah, that's, um, I think I covered everything. The basis. Ooh, yay, Katie, that was really good. So thank you. Thank you again for coming back and sharing your, your knowledge. Cause I mean, this is such an important topic. And I mean, obviously, as you know, it touches home for me, but it touches home for so many people. People don't share this type of thing. So I thought this was an important topic for us to discuss. So thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I love talking about this stuff. So (laughs) Absolutely. Okay. So everyone, that concludes another episode of ADHD Love Parent Talk. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Bye. Bye, Katie. Thank you for joining us on another episode of ADHD Love Parent Talk. If you enjoyed this episode, please do not forget to leave a review and join me as I talk with another exciting guest next week. Have a wonderful day.